0: On Twitter. This is, in fact, a member of the DLF family of podcasts. Welcome back. This week, uh, Tom Kisslingberry from England which was strange to talk to someone from such a strange foreign land, and was able to lend me some some of his time this week um, to talk about running backs. Specifically, we wanted to focus more on sophomore and um, potential running back breakouts for 2020, not specifically the 2020 class, but the first part of our conversation really took up uh, more dynasty theory, how we look for potential edges in running backs, um, and ended with a list of players with interesting roles in college that might not be highlighted, as much by uh, the broad majority of coverage going on right now for rookies. Um, I asked on Twitter if I should put out more podcasts a week to try and help fill the content void. We're all kind of quarantined on our homes right now and um, to provide some light relief from the very serious things going on in our country and also in the world in general. Um, Paul said yes, but, you know, it's Twitter. So uh, if, if uh, I should go back to the one uh, one podcast a week schedule, and let me know. Um Either hit me up on the Dino Crossroads handle on Twitter or me at P.A. Howdy on Twitter. Uh, Contact me somehow. I'll leave a review to say I really hear enough of you already. Um, One a week was just fine. Uh, And I'll go back to it. Um, But I thought I'd try and help out. Really the only way I have, which is, again, providing some light relief from the various theories things going on in the world right now so I hope you and your families are happy safe healthy and have really clean hands right now I do have to apologize me and Tom had a little bit of a time delay while we were talking with each other because my internet's kind of sucky and he is across the Atlantic from me so uh, there was a little bit of talking over each other at times I tried to remove most of it hopefully that won't affect uh, any enjoyment you get from the Dynasty Crossroads such as it is and um, so i'm going to jump right into the conversation with tom thanks very much and i'll see you in part two which will drop on saturday thanks bye all right starting fresh what were you what were you gonna say a minute ago
1: <laughs> and now just shut up till you finish talking no i'm far too busy pouring my beer right. um, anyway sorry. that's fine should we just jump in because uh, <laughs> so we're gonna have to manage the time delay <laughs>
0: Other players, you said you like running backs better, are the players from last year's class that you really think people are missing on or something? Like I ran this expected points model um, with my, <laughs> um, looking for how, because volume predicts running backs really well. That's the one thing that we know. I mean, running backs yep. are a little easier to predict than wide receivers. And so there doesn't seem to be anything drastically crazy with the model. I mean, Tony Pollard came up like fifth, but we know that's because he got time and so did Malik uh, like Madison came up, what is he, sixth? Yeah, they're fifth and sixth. But we don't expect them to have large roles next year because we know the starters in front of them are probably going to play. So, like, it didn't give me a lot of new information um, because we know who got time and who didn't. And um, Daryl Henderson came up surprisingly high. But again, Gurley missed a lot of time. Benny Snell, but then again, James Conner missed a lot of time. And then Justice Hill, interestingly, um, where there was Mark Ingram didn't miss a lot of time, I think. So maybe that was interesting. Um, I did notice like from the 2018 season, because I ran it on every season since 2000, Like one of the things that, int- that popped up was Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. Basically, it predicted them to split work almost identically with Philip Lindsay mm-hmm. getting the slight lead. But again, that kind of made sense. As much as we want one to take over the backfield, um, we, yeah, everyone kind of knew that as well. Um, but I, I don't think it pinpointed any anything like that from the 2019 class. We know Pollard, we know Madison, we know Snell got work and Henderson got work, but we're a little less impressive than both. Justice Hill, we hope, can take over a larger role, but you know the the model I made didn't predict that it, he should, um, nor should it, because I think Mark Ingram's going to be on the team. Then it's Ty Johnson. Like running backs didn't offer me a lot of interesting insight. Did you see anything from last year, or did you, did you find anything now from last year that really makes you think
1: someone's going to take over a backfield or something? Shutting up there, <laughs> good man. It was really interesting. But the other thing you've got to look at is is how teams, um, because they tend to year on year, they don't look at it like they're doing other sports or whatever, and you go, "What talent have I got? How can I best use them? I'll build a new offense around it." What I find and what I see is most coaches. Um, obviously head coaches and offensive coordinators have had long careers they've been doing this a long time and they've been very successful otherwise they wouldn't get to one of those big jobs in the nfl so they've got a system that works and generally most coaches look at their players and go well i'm gonna i'm gonna put you in the slots that i've got i normally use this one guy who does this this job and and you over there uh le michael car Mystery, Um, You're that guy. And then I've got another third down receiving back and and you over there, LaJoy Reynolds, um, you can be that guy for me. And they just kind of prop them in there. So if you look at how players fit into those roles in those teams, you get a much better idea. Um, So it it does change. Sometimes uh, coaches do change things, but if you can identify who's going to be who in which system, then I think that's the most interesting thing so rather than just looking at players first and going we were good or bad or thumbs up and thumbs down therefore you're going to get more or less you just look at how teams are going to use them so we talked about the broncos and that's really interesting right um because it's two back system um and you said we would like to see one of them take over and you're right fantasy players do want to see one back get all the volume but it's so rare that happens um so I, I think we need to cap our expectations based on what teams are likely to do. Yeah, I think I might have been better served if I at least went per game,
0: like um, expected points per game, expected points per attempt. Then it might have shown mm. me like a little unexpected things, like um, maybe, you know, Tony Pollard was getting so much in his game that maybe he eats into Zeke's role a little bit. But it's just just the way I looked at it kind of limited me in that sense. Um, I, I really do think the sophomore running back's Um, like we know the names like, but you always kind of feel that way. And then later on people are like, I no one told me that Tony Pollard and Madison were good bets. (laughs) It's like, uh, Oh, sorry, man. I just thought you'd know. I just I honestly just thought someone would have mentioned it. <laughs> so, yeah, just in case. Like, Singletary um, looks really good. He came up fourth right behind the big three of Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, and David Montgomery. Singletary had a lot of work last year, and he did fairly well with it. So I'm also using efficiency mm-hmm. a little bit to kind of adjust, not just volume, also how well they did with it. Because so I do think it makes sense, even at running back, that if, if you do well with your touches, coaches want to see more. That's uh, what I've been calling the Blair Andrews rule. He writes for and last off season he put out a lot of information about how efficient rookies tend to get more volume the next year, and it makes a lot of sense once you put that in a story, right? I put this guy on the field, and he was really efficient, so maybe I'll give him a few more touches. That at least makes sense to me, but like we're saying at running back, it's so much a coaching decision that, you know, Maybe they just don't like that guy, or they lean draft capital a little more than they can with wide receiver. But yeah, you got yeah, single Terry Pollard, I Madison Snell, who I'm I'm pretty low on because I like James Conner, I like Benny Snell, I don't think either have significant upside um connor more than snell i think snell's pretty limited in what he can do um and it also and one thing that did come up when i was trying to run this model is there's a really big change in 2007 in terms of expected rushing attempts and expected expected points and which was the steps i was using Um, since 2007, and that's where the switch over to receiving work becomes a lot more valuable. I guess that's something that I can add. Like if you're running models or if you're looking for predictable patterns for running back, you really shouldn't be looking past or before 2007 at this point because the change has been significant. In the last three years, it's kind of – you know, if you were to put it on a graph, it's like a little curly thing right up. You know, it shoots right up over the last three years in terms of the amount of receiving work we should expect from top 12 running backs or top 24 running backs. But um, yeah, 2007 is a fair cutoff line. And so that's that's kind of it, when it really started to change. And so there is that too, like receiving work matters a lot more than it used to. And I guess the most interesting thing it came up with is that Miles Sanders, like it predicts him to have really good volume in 2020. And obviously people are a little on the fence about Miles Sanders. That put me a little more on one side of Miles Sanders. I agree that the team looks like it's going to split the work, but I think Miles Sanders' workload um, is definitely uh, good enough in year one to project that he's going to be a top 24 running back next year and maybe has upside. Interesting enough, Josh Jacobs and Montgomery. Montgomery, because he kind of sucked with it, and Josh Jacobs because um, he really didn't get much of that receiving volume they predict a little lower than i would like so i'm actually a little lower on those two right now
1: yeah I, I we've we've talked about a few players here who we can sort of group together right and and i just call them early down rushers uh because there's a lot of these guys in the nfl who really are only used on early downs and don't catch the ball um so mm-hmm. we talked about benny snell right if you look at Benny Snell last year, he had, what, 111, 112 combined targets, carries? Uh, depends on exactly what you do with sacks and, and penalties and things like that. Out of those, 109 of them were carries and three of them were targets. You know, he's he's just not a factor in the passing game. Uh, that's not happening at all. And you can say it's on a low sample size. It's only 100, but but generally when players are used more, those sorts of ratios don't change very much, and then similarly, if you look at usage on down, out of those 111, um, about well, a hundred of them were used on first and second down, and obviously there are a lot more first and second downs than third downs. But he doesn't play on third down; and he doesn't catch the ball, and other backs in the same backfield do that quite a lot. So it's just a it's it's a cap. And you talked about Josh Jacobs, and he's a real worry for me because the, he's, he's got similar sorts of ratios. Um, Josh Jacobs was used in in my system, very similar to Sony Michel uh, last two years, who really isn't only an early down guy who never gets targeted. And that sort of worries me. So people really like Josh Jacobs and everyone likes him coming out. So He he just doesn't get targeted very much. He had 31 targets compared to 238 uh, rushes. So as a ratio, it's amongst the most extreme in the league. And I'll, I'll be very, very surprised if they change that. And his, his supporters will say, oh, he hurt his shoulder and, and all this sort of stuff. But you look at all similar players and other players got hurt. Running backs get hurt all the time, right? And and he is an exception. He looks like a very early down guy. Um, so I'm not sure where that extra volume comes from. Either the offense needs to get much better in total because that creates volume because you're just extending uh, drives and you have far more plays and, and so you have more opportunity there. Or you're expecting him to be used in a different way and I'm I'm not sure I believe in either of those. Yeah, sorry. Um
0: the other weird part about uh, us having a slight time delay and not using cameras is you can't <laughs> tell I'm nodding along and you know smiling every time you make a joke but I am, <laughs> I swear. Um no, I, I agree. It actually, you know, I know we're talking more sophomores here, but it relates somewhat to like I was just in a conversation about Jordan Jordan Thomas, Jonathan, Th- Jonathan Thomas, and um, the rookie i one from this year where he just simply doesn't Taylor. have Taylor. God, <laughs> no one's going to follow this podcast ever again. But yeah, Jonathan Taylor, <laughs> because um, he just didn't have that role in college. And while there are Melvin Gordon's yep. um that happen all the time. And Josh Jacobs fits in this category. That's what reminded me of it. Like he just didn't really have that role in college either. It does happen. So I never rule it out but there's just a lower ceiling. And that's why I end up saying things like I prefer Miles Sanders, but I'm taking Josh Jacobs over what at rb one because that switch over in terms of role, it just makes sense that a coach isn't going to go, look, I spent a million hours scouting you. I've seen you do all this great stuff that I love you do. Now I'm going to have you do something entirely different. And I really think it's better to process the receiving game, even not even for, but especially for running backs as an entirely different type of thing, it's not that they're not capable of it. It's not that they're not athletic enough. it's not that they can't catch a ball. It's like learning a new job <laughs> um that's connected to your old job, but it's still an entirely new job, and it like it's not easy, and it's it wouldn't be a small request to switch over to that um it relates somewhat like uh Chase Claypool this year, I know again, rookies damn get out of, get out of the habit <laughs> but um it's the I know not- yeah really we we couldn't talk about rookies but i've really been trying to catch up with him and chase claypool i'm gonna make a video about him because he's got a really interesting profile and he's you know this huge monster and people keep telling me he will switch over to tight end and all i keep telling people when they ask me is unusual isn't typically good like it has to be a specific type of unusual thing for you to be excited about it normally unusual is bad the nfl doesn't like unusual they wants it to follow certain rules and you draft your running back and they do running back things and like chase Claypool, if he switches position, he he'll be learning an entirely new job. I think I was listening to a podcast the other day that I love. And the guy speaking is you know much more intelligent than me, but he was talking about tight ends like their wide receivers. I'm like, it's a different thing. <laughs> like we have yeah. to stop correlating the two just because they're not running backs. Doesn't mean they're just receiver. I mean, we can't define wide receiver as a single position. And so if Chase Claude Paul switches over, like I love his profile as a tight end, like it skyrockets um, and it looks fairly good, but I think it's got a late breakout age problem as a wide receiver, but then you've got to factor in this is wide receiver usage. So he's never played tight end and it's not the same position. And like, I don't know that we should really be like, I'm excited about the idea, but unusual typically isn't good. And, um, but to go back to rookies, um, like Miles Sanders, and I think this was what this expected point model is saying. It's like, if there's a player in this class with top 12 upside, it's Miles Sanders. I don't think it's quite there with Miles Sanders because of taking into context his role and everything else. Um, if anything, it, it makes me more worried about Josh Jacobs, uh, uh, David Montgomery, because he seems to have more of that, or we think of him as having more of that role. But Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery kind of have the exact a very similar range of expected points in the receiving game, like top 24 running backs, for example, to give you a baseline where I'm not using stats that everyone is familiar with, uh, like to contextualize it, top 24 running backs on average get about 79 expected points in the receiving game since 2000 or since 2007. And Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery were both below 50. So, Like, that's worrying. Miles Sanders, on the other hand, had 93. So, like, he's got that upside, but we also know he's probably not going to get that rushing volume that we like. So I think all three are really solid top 24 backs. I'd be worried about David Montgomery's floor. Josh Jacobs is probably very limited in terms of, you know, like we are saying about the receiving role. Like, every year, every year of Adrian Peterson's career that I remember at the start of the season, we heard about how Adrian Peterson was going to get more involved in the receiving game. And he just never did. And that's normally what happens. And I think it's what happened with Josh Jacobs. They were doing it with him last year, like Gruden was coming on saying, oh, yeah, we're really going to get him involved in the receiving game. It's just lip service. I don't I don't think they're going to do it.
1: Um, but, yeah, I agree. I I, th- I think we, we saw exactly what we would expect to do, uh, to be honest. So there were a lot of people that thought he was going into a three-down role. But the year before, there was a very clear split between Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. Right, and Tariq Cohen is a fantastic mm-hmm. receiving and third down back, but they, you know, he's not a good early down rusher. Um, and Jordan Howard was the exact opposite. And, and Cohen wasn't going anywhere. Finally, played one game in, in, as a slot receiver, but people have got this idea of, of, of Tariq Cohen, and lots of players like him. Like half the time, they're lining up out wide, and it's not true. It's closer to fifteen percent when you look at where they're actually playing. They're not wide receivers; they are running backs going back to your point about changing position before and i i never saw any reason to really expect that to change so if you look at the the splits year on year between the 2018 bears and 2019 bears they are almost identical they're absolutely the same so i agree with you the coach is saying we're going to use david montgomery more but it's just coach speak you know every summer you you get coaches going we're going to be more aggressive on defense we're going to go after the quarterback yeah of course you're going to say that sort of stuff but but it's not true, and you've proven through your actions over multiple years that it's not true. So I agree with you in terms of total rankings. Uh, Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery, I'm really happy with top 24 guys. If they stay healthy, uh, avoid injuries, and you know, all running bats get injured, so that, that's not easy, um, they should definitely uh, finish in that place. But it's harder for them to get to top 12 than it is for other players. Doesn't mean they can't do it, because you look at last year and you've got Derek Henry, who is very much an early down uh, banger, and he won the rushing title, right? And he was an amazing fantasy player. And Leonard Fournette somehow learned to catch. (laughs) We'll go back to talking about different roles in a minute, actually, because that was really interesting when you were talking about Chase Claypool. But Leonard Fournette's never been a receiving back. And last year, he was, what, third in, in targets of all running backs? He had 100 targets. So that one came
0: out of nowhere. Yeah, Ezekiel Elliott did it as well. And to be clear, both of those guys had a higher receiving percentage. The way I'm looking at role, and it's not predictive. Like, don't get this... Don't get confused. I'm not saying this predicts anything, but it describes what they were doing in college very well. Not what they're yes. going to do, but I what agree. they were do- So the percentage of um, Zeke Elliott and um, Landon Fournette's yards, their total yards that were from the receiving game is around 10 to 11%, which is respectable. And um, it's, it's not that player you project to be a deep receiving back. Like, um, you know, Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey both have 20%. But mm-hmm. plenty of players with 10 12% um, receiving yards um, work out to be pass catchers in the NFL, so it was. I didn't think he was going to be a three down back, and it was surprising last year, but it's not totally unheard of. Whereas Melvin Gordon and Jonathan Taylor are actually a tier below that, with like four or five percent of their res- yards coming from the receiving game. Those are the unusual, the really unusual ones, just in that, just dis- in the way I've been trying to describe role. Um, and again, it, it's really difficult with running backs. We need running back production desperately. And so I think it's okay to like have been really high on Miles Sanders because the potential was there more. Or M- Montgomery. I was a little higher on Montgomery than some people, even though I has Jacobs as one, because Jacobs was more likely to definitely establish that running back role be a top 24 guy but david montgomery had that quiet ceiling that was less likely and and so it's just this mental jiggling you do in your head this mental calculation of um upside versus floor kind of a kind of a thing i just always get really worried when things like you said like what we expected to happen happen because we're always looking for things that we don't expect to happen it's like (laughs) <laughs> We're looking for the guy to trade for right now that becomes Dalvin Cook, and I can't find him. But some a name I was just looking into, and I sent a few trade offers because he's ranked as running back twenty-seven right now, but apparently that's still really high in trade value because I got turned down all the all the way across the board. Um, is Darius Geis? Like he was young when he came into the league. Again, he's someone that profiles more in that net level receiving role from college. Definitely. but in very interesting Russia. And hasn't been healthy in the league, and I just heard Ethan, uh, Ethan Turner, I think is his name. Um, yeah, good guy. Yeah, really great guy. He 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 basically. I think he's me, but for injuries, like he's a, he's a doctor and, and he's a PT and he just sees himself as a collector of information. I was like, that's a really good way of explaining that. Ethan, I'm going to steal that. But um, he was recently on the trade Addis podcast, you know, um, shout out to dynasty outhouse and um, Adam half Brian half. Geez, names today. Um, And he was saying that he's actually really encouraged with the way they're dealing with Gary's injury. I didn't understand most of what he was saying, but he was saying that he thinks the way the injury is being treated, he actually has more longer term potential because of the way they're treating it. Essentially they're not taking it down to bone on bone or something like that. Um, And it was really interesting to hear that from a guy who has medical knowledge and is tracking or collecting medical knowledge in order to help out with running backs or players in the NFL. So he's not a sophomore running back. I get it. But is Darius Geis maybe that guy for next year that has a larger
1: role than we can expect? Because that's what it, we're looking for, someone possible. that has a larger role than we expect. Right. Some of that is just staying healthy because um, those right. guys that come out of nowhere are normally the person who plays six, 16 games. Washington's really interesting, right? So if we look at Washington, we can probably expect between 200 and 250 running back carries. For the year, something like that. They're not going to be very good again. Um, it, I, I, I would love anyone to predict them to be good, but I can't see it. So, that that's a cap. There's a limit to how much the use they can get. And at the moment, you've got Derry's guys, and you've got Adrian Peterson, who fine is nearly forty, but but they're still using him, and he, and he's still been fairly good. And you've got um, uh, Bryce Love hanging around as well, who's another early down rusher. And people look at someone like Bryce Love, and you know very similar to Sony Michelle, and they go, well, he's only five foot nine, and he's quite slim so he's probably a receiving back uh, but it's not true at all. He is very much an early down rushing back. Fine he's a bit more speed and a bit more an outside running back uh, than Darius Geis is but similar right? I don't see a way to split up those 250 carries there and, and see any of them becoming really really good. I I do not see a top 12 um, season there. And they haven't got a receiving back at the moment because Chris Thompson's a a free agent. Maybe they bring him back. Maybe they don't. Maybe they get someone else in. Who knows? We haven't seen free agency or the draft yet. But uh, unless you believe that one of those guys can be a high volume receiver, I'm not sure where it comes from. And you you talked about um, learning stuff earlier. So I'm going to tweet this out because I do it every so often. I made a flow chart. <laughs> uh, for college uh, running backs, and who uses flowcharts, right? That don't catch the ball. So basically, the way it oh, works is, um, <laughs> yeah, like us, <laughs> it, it is, was this player used a lot as a receiver in college? And if they weren't, then how is he going to be anywhere near NFL quality to be at that? And people always go, Oh, he can catch. I mean, of course, he, he can catch a ball, but is he good enough that you can beat out other players in the NFL for that role? Right. Because if they didn't want him to do it in college, then they didn't spend any time coaching him to do it. That would just be a waste of everybody's time. Um, and if if you somehow believed he, he was great in high school and there's not a lot of difference between high school receiving ability and NFL receiving ability, then good luck to you because you're delusional. Um, and the third possibility is fine. He wasn't very good at it. No one really taught him how to do that in NFL level. But someone can teach him it really quickly in three months in the first um, year as a professional. And I don't believe that's true either. So it's really hard for those guys that you were talking about. Jonathan Taylor is a really good example. Great production, but not catching the ball. You've either got to accept or believe they're going to get much better really, really quickly. Or they were somehow brilliant already at a skill, but their college coaches just chose to never use it. None of those seem very likely to me. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> stop Stop saying everything
0: perfectly and uh, we can have a conversation? No. Um, no, it's a really good way of looking at it. Um, as far as this year's class goes, and running backs into next year, like I'm starting to feel like I want to make a wide receiver renaissance, renaissance argument, because we've got a class where we expect more floor than ceiling, like Jonathan Taylor's ceiling's a little capped, unless he pulls a Melvin Gordon, like you were saying, which is unusual. Um, yep. But we... But I did want to mention a few of these players that looked like they could have that ceiling that are coming out in production well and have like a l- outsized or slightly larger role in the receiving game. None of them are Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley, but both Swift and Cam Akers, that's, that fills out my top three running backs. Mm. Both of them had, well, Cam Akers had 14% in the receiving game. john Swift had 18%. That's a little outsized. Eno Benjamin as well, but everyone hates Eno Benjamin apparently. And Keyshawn Vaughn, <laughs> like... Those are my, you know, same argument for um, uh, David Montgomery and um, Sanders, where I don't think it's likely, but the ceiling's a little higher because of their likely role. Um, And so I really like those players in this year's class. J.K. Dobbins is down in the Leonard Fournette type tier where he was a receiver in college, but, you know, you don't predict... Huge volume in the receiving game, based off of it. Um, again, because it's descriptive, he's around twelve percent. So I like some of these players, but I do think I'm getting more and more the sense that this year's and the draft is so important for running backs. I hate to pull out that trope, but it is, and um, that is we're
1: expecting more. All fall about than landing stealing. spot. No, Sorry, we're talking. crossing over there a little <laughs> bit. I'm um, I- I used to think that you you look at rookies based on talent and then, you know, you adjust that based on where they land. Uh, And actually, then I started to think it's really important for where they land. So I adjust it a lot. And now I'm just I don't really care about the player. All I care about is where they land. Um, So we'll talk about landing spots in a minute. Actually, that'd be really interesting because, you know, a, a team that ends up picking a running back at the top of the third or something like that but they've got an open spot and and he's a fairly early pick for them might be really, really interesting. If someone goes to, I don't know, Tampa or Atlanta, both of those I'm quite interested in.
0: Okay, that was the first part of Minor Tom's conversation about rookie running backs and also sophomore running backs and potential running back breakouts in 2020. Hope you enjoyed it. In the next section, we get Delve uh, a little bit deeper into uh, the sophomore class: David Montgomery, um, Miles Sanders, and Josh Jacobs, and their potential uh, going in to next season. Should it happen, you know, hopefully sometime in the future. Anyway, I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and I will see you again on uh, the next section of this conversation, um, which I'm planning to drop on Saturday. Um, thanks again, and I will talk to you again in a couple days. Or, you know, whenever you hit me up on Twitter. Bye.
2: Yeah! Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play, run, fold, so. Jake on the table, and Nate on the plate, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats Picking apart, the film is an art. Always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. Jake got that eye, eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore. I am met across the road. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road. Go clicking a poll. Twitter is gold, play, run fold. So Jake on the table, and Ape on the place. So. Pete and Numo, it's the plays they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete and Numo, it's the plays they're analytical.